The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. here. I know a lot of people are out traveling today. If you're joining us online, I welcome you too. Um, but I'm just really thankful for what God is doing today. Um, this is an exciting day because today we get to step back into First Timothy. Um, time has been flying, but believe it or not, it was the beginning of this year that we jumped into this incredible letter. We, we spent um, the whole what would that be, spring? Yes, that's spring. We spent the whole spring walking through, kind of verse by verse through this. And as we got into the summer, we pushed the pause button. Um, and, and we have spent almost two months, um, as we got into the summer, we spent almost two months in the book of Psalms, which time has flown uh, by. I, it's been really good. I love the Psalms. I love the rhythm that we have as a church of when the summer arrives, we retreat to the Psalms. I love it. Um, but as I said last week, we're shifting out of the Psalms a little bit early because of some scheduling things. And so we're switching gears this morning and getting back into 1 Timothy a little early. And so are you ready? <laughs> nope. All right. Um, this text is actually a really perfect text to ease us back in, uh, to get us kind of a baby step back in. So um, if you have your Bibles with you, would you grab them? Would you open with me, scroll with me, however you get there, uh, to the book of 1 Timothy. We're going to be in chapter 3, and we're going to be in that final section of chapter 3, those final three verses, verses 14, 15, and 16. And um, our text this morning is going to do two things. Number one, the first couple of verses are going to kind of look back a bit, and we're going to see what Paul's been saying about his church. First thing. And then number two, our verse is also going to look ahead. That verse 16, we're going to look ahead, look to Jesus, our foundation together. So it's going to be a perfect way for us to ease back in a little bit. All right? So that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, let me do this. Let me read our text for us. 1 Timothy 3, 14 through 16. It says this. This doesn't seem to work today. Um, we've had gremlins in our system this morning. It's too hot. Uh, I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth, Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nation, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. Let's pray together this morning. God, we thank you for this opportunity. We thank you for your word. We thank you for First Timothy. I pray that as we come back to this now, that you would just um, open our hearts and our eyes, that we would see and that you would speak and that we would hear as we walk through this letter together. God, we give you this time and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. All right. Um, First Timothy is a letter. All right. No brainer. A letter. It was written by Paul, written um, by the apostle Paul to an elder, a pastor, a young faithful leader named Timothy. And um, this young faithful leader, Timothy, happened to be the pastor of a church in, of the church in Ephesus. So if you um, were to look in your Bible and flip a little bit to the left, you'll see a book called Ephesians. That book, Ephesians, was also written by Paul to the congregation. And here in 1 Timothy, in our letter today, we have by Paul to the pastor, uh, Pastor Timothy in this church in Ephesus. And what we see here is that Paul cares greatly about this church for good reason. We uh, read as we got into Timothy so long ago how this church was actually started. Paul actually planted this church. He cares greatly for this church. And, but even more than that, what is so clear is that not only does Paul care about this church, God cares about this church. God cares greatly not only about this church, but the church. And, and what we see in this letter is that God not only cares about the church in some vague general way, but God actually cares deeply for the church in the way it's led, the way it functions, what it does, what it believes. All of these things matter to God. We see in scripture, Jesus did not, in other words, just come accomplish his work um, and then just say, hey, just believe in me, figure out everything else, and I'll see you in a bit. I'll pick you up later. That's not what we see. We, we don't see Jesus accomplishing his work, ascending and saying, you know, whatever you want the church to be, go for it. Um, whoever you want to lead the church, it's good. Just go for it. I'll uh, figure it out. I'll pick you up. That's not what Jesus did. Instead, what we see is Jesus did come. He did accomplish his work. He did ascend to heaven. He will come again. But in the meantime, Jesus was very clear in sending his spirit and giving us this mission and giving us ultimately church this. He was very clear on his heart and his purpose for his church. He was very clear. We are not left to wonder. Instead, we are left to stand on God's revealed heart for his people in his church. We have this. And so just as we get into this letter, brothers and sisters know that this matters. If you look around, this matters. What we're doing here together matters. How we function, how we're led, what we believe, what we do, it matters to God. It matters to God. And so we get the great joy of walking through this and seeing and knowing the heart of God for his people in this letter. And, and by the way, this is why this matters so much. This is why this matters so much. This is the word of God giving us his heart until the day he returns. And so we, we stand on it because this matters. And so what we've seen so far in this letter, and, and by the way, I'm not going to go into depth on this one, okay? Um, just real quick, speed version. What we've seen in this letter is Paul here is edifying Timothy to protect sound doctrine, to know it and to protect it. He's saying, look out for false teachers and false teachings because they wreck everything. They lead the church astray. He warns against what he calls a shipwreck in the faith. He warns against this. He encourages Timmy, Timmy, Timmy. I'm going to call him Timmy from now on. It's official. He warns Timmy to lead well. 
that God has a plan for his church and for his people, both men and women in the church. It matters to God. He has a plan. In chapter 3, we saw Paul unpack what the leadership of the church needs to look like. And he, and he looks specifically at two roles or offices in the church, the role of elder and the role of deacon. And Paul talks about what kind of men need to fill these roles. The character of these matter. They matter deeply. And so Paul gives qualifications, not suggestions, but qualifications for those who would serve in these roles. And um, these, these qualifications, they matter because God cares about his church again. He cares about his church again and, and the leaders of his church. Listen, if you have missed any of these messages, if you're new with us or you're, you're feeling like you're being tossed into a cold swimming pool trying to figure out, like, get, listen, if you want to go back and listen to any of these messages, I want to invite you to do that. You can do that by going um, to stonebible.com slash resources. We have a library of both video and audio of all of the messages that we've preached so far in this book. Um, and so I don't say this often, but whenever we're jumping right back into the middle of the book, it's, it's a good time to remind you of that. So if that would serve you well, I want to encourage you. You can go there and get ca caught up if you want to go a little deeper into any of the, the previous verses or chapters of Timothy. Um, but listen, Paul has been laying all this before us, laying this all out. And then we get to our text this morning where Paul says this, listen, listen to me, verse 14, I hope to come to you soon. Paul desires to come back to this church, loves this church. He loves Timothy. He loves this congregation. He desires to be with them face to face. But how many know that sometimes our plans are not God's plans? And sometimes we don't get what we want. Anyone? <laughs> this was true for you and I today. It's true for Paul all of those years ago. Here's the thing, years ago. He wanted to be with them. He cared for them. I mean, just think about it. He planted this church, and he knows how fragile this church was and, and the attacks that this church was facing. And, and he knows how dangerous those attacks are. And he wanted to be there in person, and yet he was not able to be there in person. That had to have been painful. And here, he, he has to trust God, and he has to trust this young pastor, Timothy, to lead well that the work of the gospel would continue in this church and that this church would not give over to these attacks or these attackers from within or from without. And so Paul here puts pen to paper and says, I'm writing you these things so that, verse 15, if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. What Paul is saying here, and, and, and if I can't get there to be with you face to face, at least I want to give you this letter. Why do I want to give you this letter? So that you know what you're, what you're supposed to be doing as the church. You know how you're ought to, you ought to be behaving. You know how you're supposed to be conducting your business. God cares about those things. I need you to know how you were to function. And Paul says three things about this church, three things. He identifies the church really in three ways. 
And I want to look at these. Household of God, church of the living God, and a pillar and buttress of truth. I want to I look at these real quick. The first one is this, the household. He identifies the church with this imagery of a family, the household of God. A people, a household is a, is a group of people who belong together and function together. And that's the image that Paul uses, God's household. This is why, church, it is not optional for us to belong to a local church. I know that that might seem like a really controversial statement. But I think the controversy comes more from our culture than it comes from Scripture. So I think Scripture is pretty clear and, and when I hear people say, hey, I want Jesus, I just don't want the church. When I hear people say, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't want to belong to Jesus's church, it frustrates me, not just because I'm a pastor, but because the Jesus that you follow didn't give you that option. This me, myself, and I, me, my Bible, and Jesus Lone Ranger Christianity is a rugged, individualistic, Western idea that we have just plopped on top of Scripture. It does not come from Scripture. We've plopped it on Scripture. And, and as a Christian, you are not saved and called to be a Lone Ranger. As a follower of Jesus, you are saved and you are called, whether you like it or not, into a people. The language, to use the language of Scripture, you're adopted the work of God. You are a son. You are a daughter of God. And hear me, you are not an only child. You're not called and placed in... You have been called and placed into a household, and it is not optional. You've been gifted by the Spirit. You've been given gifts, but they're not for you to use and to edify yourself. They're given to you to bless and be used in the church. This is not optional. We can't look up, shake our fists at God and say, I wanted to be an only child. You can't look to Christ and say, I love you, but I hate that bride you died for. You can't look to the spirit and say, thank you for those gifts, but I'm not gonna use them for you. I'm gonna use them for me. These are not options for you, church. Not if we take this seriously. They're not options for you. You're called into the household of God. The church is the household of God. But it's not just that. The second way he identifies is not only the household of God, but the living God. The living God, that we are the church of the living God. We're, we're this household, this assembly, this gathering, but don't think for a minute that it's all about you. The emphasis here is on our God who is alive. I want you to think about it like this. There are a lot of groups that you could join today. A lot of clubs, a lot of social clubs, clubhouses. You, there's tons. Some of them are really old. You could join them. But the church is not an old social club. It's not an old clubhouse. It's not an old gathering or something like that. Why? I want to read what a commentator says. He says, um, this group known as the church is distinctive from all other groups because the one who has called us is an ever-living, ever-present God. 
There is no club meeting, or this is no club meeting based on ideology, the religion of ritual or idols. No, the church meets to worship the living God, even as its members have the spirit of God within them. That is just awesome. Thank you, Newt. That was awesome. Really well said. This is who we are. This is what God has called us into, the church of the living God, the living God. This is why what we do matters. God cares. That's present tense. He cares about his church. He's alive and he is present with us. And this is why our mission matters. When God says, um, go therefore and make disciples, do you remember what he also said? He said, and lo, I will be with you always. How could he say that? And that be true because he's alive. He's alive. He's living. He is with us. Our God is alive. We are his people, his gathering, his household. That's number two. Number three, the third way he identifies us is a pillar and buttress of truth. The church is to be a place, a refuge, because the truth comes from God and God has designed the church to be grounded and rooted in the truth. Um, maybe, uh, maybe you knew this, maybe you don't care, maybe you've never thought about this, maybe you still don't care after I say this, but um, do you know why we chose, when we planted this church, do you know why we chose to name it Stone Oak Bible Church? Um, we could have, cho- I remember when we were praying about like name and what name we would choose, and, and I remember just um, praying that God would lead in that. And, and we could have picked some cooler names. We really could have. We could have picked a lot more trendy names. We could have. Um, but in that process, we really landed on there's really two things that really matter. And one, we called ourselves Stone Oak because we wanted to be in this community. We wanted to be a part of this community. We wanted to associate, to be rooted in this community. We wanted our, to bear the name of this community because we felt like God called us to this community. That was number one. Then we decided Bible church. And that might sound really old school, and it, it does. And we don't care. It, it, we do, but we don't. Um, because we didn't care as much about that as we cared about communicating the fact that our church is going to be rooted in this. Rooted in it. That we are going to stand on this and stand under this. That we would stand on this to proclaim and to protect the truth. And what I love is when you stand on this, you know how crazy our culture is and just getting tossed side by side with all of these ideas and revolutions and they come and they go. But when you stand on this, we're able to not get tossed side to side. We're able to engage in those issues, um, clinging to with the word of God being stable. And so we're a local church grounded in this, and that's why we decided to name ourselves the super creative name of Stone Oak Bible Church. That's why. We, that's why. And my prayer is that we would always live up to that, that we would always be a church that is about our community in a church that is first and foremost committed to this. That's our prayer. And the reason why is so that we can be what this text calls us to be, a pillar, a buttress, or a foundation of the truth. The church provides the framework 
to protect and proclaim and to live out the word of God together. Um, What I'm about to say should not be debatable or controversial at all. But listen, all faithful churches must teach and preach and protect and live out the word of God, period. This is what the church is called to be. We're called to be the household of the living God, a people of this, of truth. This is who we are, what we do, how we function together. And listen, before we move to the second part of our, of our text this morning, I, I want to make this a little bit personal. I don't know what your background has been, what brought you, has brought you here today. Maybe your experience with the church has led to some hurt. Um. Maybe you've been hurt. Hear me. You're not alone. You are not alone. Maybe you're here and you feel this temptation to just be kind of over it. Um, I don't need all this drama. I don't need this church stuff. I got my, like, if maybe you're here, listen, you're probably not alone in that temptation either. It's easy to just want to throw our hands up and to say, you know what, I'm done. I'm kind of over this. But I want to say this, and I want you to hear me. I'm not just saying this because I am a pastor. And in many ways, I am a pastor because of what I'm about to say. Through Christ, we are called together into the household of our living God. Jesus loved the church so much that he gave his life for it. The church has been given the gospel to proclaim and to share. The church has been given a mission and a purpose that is so beyond ourselves. The church has been given this unshakable hope that we will be victorious in and through all things. Jesus said the gates of hell are not gonna prevail. We stand on that. The church has been equipped by the spirit, gifted and empowered. The church is this lasting community that is diverse by design, that at the end of this story, people from every tongue, nation, and tribe are praising God. The church has a king, a chief shepherd, our God who is alive. This is what you are called into through the work and power of Jesus Christ. You're called into the body of Christ, yes, in a universal sense, like we're all Christians and in Jesus, but I want to tell you, you're also called to the local body, that you would belong, that you would use your gifts, you would grow together in community, the household of the living God. If you're here and you are not connected, I want to encourage you to get connected. Um, I personally really love our church. I'm... I. I'm the pastor, so you would expect me to say that. Um, But listen, if it is here, if you're visiting with us, and listen, wherever it is, get connected into the community of God. Serve together. Give together. Get on mission together. Here, our groups are going to launch back in the fall after this summer heat finally relents. Um, I encourage you to get involved. Um, join one of our studies, our groups, become a member with us. And, and this is not a promo for my church because I'm going to promo other churches. If it's not with us, do it somewhere else. As long as this church that you're talking about is faithful to this and living out what we have just said, get connected, get connected, get involved. We are the church of God. 
the living God. This matters. Now, we looked back. Let's look forward. We have one more verse that we're going to look at, verse 16. And Paul is going to shift his focus now from what has come before in his talk about who the church is and leadership to now um, what is about to come. And I want you to listen to this powerful verse again. Verse 16 says, Great indeed we confess is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nation, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. That's awesome. Church, this is a confession of the early church. Paul here is quoting this confession. It's like a creed, a belief statement that the early church had together in this creed is centered on Jesus. He says, how great indeed. That word great is the word that we get mega from. It's like mega good. Exceedingly great, great, great is this mystery of godliness. This mystery that is now made known to us through Jesus. Talking about the gospel here, he says, great is the mystery that we now confess. And then he gives us this confession. We see six statements here. Six statements. Each statement has a verb and then a prepositional phrase attached to it. It's very poetic, the way it reads. And if you, if you look, you see he was manifested in the spirit, or in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. You have this beautiful poetic confession about Jesus that we see on this, in this verse. And I want to look at these just one by one and kind of unpack the foundation that we have in Jesus. Number one, we see he was manifested in the flesh. This is Jesus putting on flesh. This is the incarnation. This is John 1. John 1 says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Church, that is what we're looking at here. The incarnation, the verb manifested here, if you go back to the text, means dis demonstrated, displayed, or revealed. So Jesus was manifested, and how was he revealed? In the flesh. Church, this is the incarnation. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. We believe, we hold to the truth that Jesus came. We would be nothing if he did not come. We couldn't get to him. He came to us. The word Jesus became flesh. Our faith centers on the God-man, the son of God, fully God, stepping into humanity, fully man. He was manifest in the flesh. Number two, he was vindicated by the spirit. He, that is Jesus, was vindicated. Vindicate means to be proven. He was proven to be right, proven to be true. Here Jesus was proven to be exactly who he said he was. And how did he prove himself to be the perfect son of God? How? It was through his resurrection. He called his own resurrection by his own power. He's the only one to do that. He's the only one who needed a borrowed tomb. Only one. Paul says in Romans 8, 11, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead now dwells in you, listen, 
It was the spirit who raised him. Jesus was proven to be who he said he was through the spirit of God who raised him from the dead. Here's a way to think about this. Statement number one, he was proven or revealed to be fully man. Incarnation, line number one, manifested in the flesh. Statement number two, he was proven, vindicated to be fully God, exactly who he said he was in line number two, when he was vindicated by the spirit. Flesh, spirit, God, man, Jesus Christ, our living savior and king. Statement number three, he was seen by the angels. He, Jesus, was seen, was witnessed by the angels. My attention goes to two verses. I don't know about you. When I think about this, I go to two verses. One, I think about his incarnation, and the other, I think about his resurrection. Think about this. Luke 2, 13. We have Jesus in a manger, and Scripture says, verse 13, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. So here we have in his incarnation, he was seen by the angels. Let's go to another text because I also think about his resurrection. I think about Luke 24 in those first six verses that says, but on the first day of the week, early dawn, this is after his work, they went to the tomb taking spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Verse 4, while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened they, and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Again here, witnessed by the angels. Both at his birth, the incarnation, and in his resurrection, he was seen by the angels. Fourth statement of our confession this morning. He was proclaimed among the nations. Jesus was proclaimed, made known to who? Not just the Jewish people, but to the nations, the world. I can think of so many scriptures here, but I'm just going to go with one, Acts 1.8. Jesus, after he was, he, his work was accomplished and he was about to ascend after his resurrection and his work on the cross, he says, verse 8, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea. But listen, it doesn't stop there. That would have been the safe zone. What does he say? He says, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. The gospel of Jesus was to be proclaimed to the nation. And throughout the New Testament and throughout church history, that is exactly what has happened. You need to understand, you and I are here today, here in North Central Texas, San Antonio. North Central San Antonio. We are not in North Central. You, you know what I mean. We're here today because the fourth line of this confession is true. Jesus Christ was proclaimed among the nations. And not only that, statement number five, believed on in the world. Meaning that Jesus was believed and trusted. This is the call of the gospel that now we have to respond and praise God for his work in softening hard hearts and giving blind eyes 
sight. So that we who are dead in our sins can now see the gospel, respond to the gospel, we're made alive by grace, you have been saved by faith. I could go to so many texts on this one, but how can you not think of John 3, 16? It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. This is what's viewed here in this line, that people from all backgrounds in nations and tribes, rich, poor, tall, short, male, female, you name it. People from all nations would hear the gospel and people from all nations would respond to the gospel and that people from all nations would be saved by grace through faith in Christ. He was believed on in the world. Then lastly, statement number six, taken up in glory. This is Jesus at his ascension, taken up. I read a little bit in Acts 1, but if you remember right after Jesus says, hey, um, you're gonna have my power, you're gonna be my witnesses, you're gonna go out, what, is he, what happens right after that moment? Well, in Acts 1, 9, when he had said these things, as they were looking up, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This is Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. This is the ascension of Jesus. He was taken up in glory. Church, we believe this. We hold to this. This is our foundation for who we are as the church. If we look at this statement, he was manifested in the flesh. That's the incarnation, fully man, vindicated by the spirit, the resurrection, fully God, seen by the angels, witnessed by the angels, proclaimed among the nations. That's through the mission that he gave his people, believed on in the world as we respond to the gospel and faith and taken up into glory. That's his ascension. We have this beautifully laid out before us in church. We stand on this. We hold to this. And I want to add something to that. We cannot deviate from this. Now, I know um, we are not going to go any further this morning in our text. But if you were to sneak a peek on what is to come, you're going to notice the temptation that the church faces to deviate and to wander away from this. We cannot deviate. We cannot wonder. Instead, we must not only believe this, but I want to add, this is a confession of the early church. We need to believe this and we need to confess it. We're reading a confession of the early church, and so we are literally holding and reading something that the church has believed and stated and confessed for thousands of years. How cool is that? We are linking arms with those who have come before us as we read and as we stand on this text. There's a verse in, uh, in Jude, in Jude 3, 
where, where God's word says, beloved, I was very eager to write to you about your common salvation. I found it necessary to write to you, appealing to you, he says, to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Church, this confession in 1 Timothy 3.16, as we stand on this, we are contending for the faith once and for all delivered to the saints. We're living this out as we look at this verse. And so I know that we have to pause here in our text, um, but I do want to end a little bit different than we normally end this morning. Um, I have a challenge for you this week. And I want to give you something. Um, this right here is, is a card that I want to give you. We have one for every one of you. And you're going to get it as you leave. You're going to be hunted down if you don't take one, okay? This is for all of us. As you leave, we're going to give you one of these cards to take with you. And all it is, it's very simple, it just has this confession, 1 Timothy 3.16, on the back of it. That's it. Um, here's, the, here's what I want to encourage you to do. I want you to take this, and I want you to slip it in your wallet, in your Bible, um, put it in a notebook. If you're at a desk all day, put it on your desk. Um, Maybe on your bathroom mirror, that's your thing. Um, if you drive a lot, maybe put it on your dash, put it somewhere in your car. Here's the thing. Just put it somewhere where you'll see it every day. And here's my challenge for you this week. And I know that coming to church and getting homework is the worst. You're going to be fine. I promise you, you're going to live. You're going to be okay. Take a moment. Here's the challenge. Take a moment each day, every day, take a moment and just read this verse. That's not bad, right? That's, that's, here's the thing. As you read it, you're probably going to find yourself kind of memorizing it pretty quickly. That's okay. But I want to challenge you to read this verse every day, and here are the ground rules for this challenge, okay? Number one, read this verse out loud. Silent reading is awesome. Do that. But not for this challenge. Read this out loud. Second, Read it slowly. Speed reading is awesome. I do it all the time. Just don't do it for this challenge. Read it out loud. Read it slowly. Number three, read it confessionally. What I mean by this is as you read this, you are literally confessing what you believe. You're confessing what you believe to yourself as a reminder, but please don't rush past this. You are confessing what you believe to your God as an act of worship. So read it confessionally. And then lastly, um, this may sound odd, read it communally. I'm not saying that I want you to get with a group of people to do this. Like every week, we got to make a phone call and say this communally. Um, that's not what I'm, what I'm saying here. When I say read communally, what I'm talking about is I am challenging you to read this understanding two things. Number one, that you are confessing the same truth that the church has confessed for thousands of years. You have kind of an invisible community around you as, you as you confess this, state this. And that's just so cool. Maybe it's just me. I love history. That's just really cool. Number two, though, I want you to understand that as you're confessing this, you're confessing the same truth that your church family is confessing every week or every day of this week. As you're saying this, you are 
confessing the same truth that all those who have come before you and all of your church family are confessing, and we are united by this truth. We stand together on this truth, and you're reading it confessionally and communally. So will you take this challenge? It's so simple. Um, And I know, again, some of you are thinking homework at church is terrible, but it's probably the easiest challenge that you'll ever get. I mean, how much time is this going to take you? Like under a minute? You can do that. I, I promise you, you, you'll make it. And I want you, to, I want you to get this. Here's my reasoning. Here's my why for this challenge. My prayer and my hope is that this will be a worshipful practice for you this week. Reminding you that you're a part of something bigger than you. Bigger than yourself. Reminding you that everything is centered on Christ. My prayer is that this simple, regular rhythm this week will just ground us in the gospel, ground us in Christ. It's so simple. As we confess him this week. And so I hope that you're going to take this challenge with me um, this week. Just take it and put it somewhere because you're prone to forget. I I am too. I'm going to put it somewhere where I can see it. It's going to go on my desk. Join me in this challenge um, this week. And in fact, the way I would like to finish our time together is I want to ask, would you join me in standing? Um, Before we respond in song together uh, this morning, I'd love for us to just end our time in this text just by simply reading this verse together. And let me remind you, reading it out loud, slowly, confessionally, and communally. We're going to kind of demonstrate what we're going to do this week together, okay? And I just want to invite you to join me, and let's read this together. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. Let's read this together. He was manifested in the flesh, Vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Amen. Let's receive.